You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, open your Bible with me to 1 John chapter 1. We'll get there in a minute as we continue our series this week, learning about what it means to be a community on purpose. But before we do, I'm excited to share some uh, great news that's happening in our church planting network, the Great Commission Collective. There are four churches from our network planting in the month of September, and we're excited to share with you these four churches that are planting three today, and then one two weeks from now. The one from two weeks from now is being planted by Mark and Sharon Patton. They are planting Focus Church in Budapest, Hungary. I was able to meet Mark at a pastor's retreat back in January. He's been doing ministry in Hungary for several decades, and it's exciting to see him come into our network now. Next, these three that are planting this weekend today, Christ Center Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, with Darren Pastor Darren Greenfield and his wife Adina, that's being planted from Mission Church in Pennsylvania, excuse me, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Next are two churches that we are involved with ourselves, people that we've had come to our church here that we've introduced you to, and from some of the money that we've given in special offerings has helped plant these churches. This is Addie and Alex Balta. Pastor Addie is planting Biserica Radiant in Timisoara, Romania, and then just down the road from us, uh, Marvin McCudi is planting Hope Church, Toronto North. That's Marvin there with his wife, Kimberly, and their four boys, rowdy, strong boys. And we're excited that people from our church who live closer to the Yorkdale area where they're planting have gone and joined this church. They're planting today. Their services are happening. So can we give thanks to God for these new churches being planted? Amen. I want to take time uh, before we get into the scriptures to pray for these churches now. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this is such good news to see more gospel preaching, vertical worshiping, life-giving churches being planted across the world in Eastern Europe and in the United States and right down the road from us in North Toronto. What a joy, Lord God, that more people will be gathered together worshiping your worthy name, that more people will be sitting under your word preached, that more people will be trained and discipled to be disciple makers and go out into the world as sent ones to represent Christ in the world around us, Lord. God, today in these churches, as they launch, would you be glorified in their services? Would people be saved in these services? And would you bear fruit through these churches for your glory? Bear fruit in maturity. Bear fruit in greater love for you. Bear fruit in salvation, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you have your Bible open to 1 John. Today we're going to consider going to consider 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 to 10. Let's read this passage now. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. 
that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Friends, what's the, um, what's the link that ties together the closest relationships that you have? Your closest friendships, what holds them together? I found in my life, and probably it's the same in yours, that many of our friendship are, friendships are tied together by shared interests, common hobbies, jobs. You know, whether you're in a pro sports and you're really happy that the Leafs signed that player yesterday, or you like top 40 music and you're into pop culture movies, or you like finances or art or computer graphics or filmmaking. C.S. Lewis said this, Friendship is born in that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. And even the author and theologian C.S. Lewis, when he was a young boy, had um, friendships that were based on these shared interests like this. When C.S. Lewis was a boy, uh, he really liked the stories and tales of Norse mythology. You might be thinking, what on earth is Norse mythology? Well, before Marvel ever had the rights of Thor and Odin and Loki, the Norwegian people had their fables about these gods, and C.S. Lewis was really into this and had friends that also really liked going into these tales. And, you know, I myself have had times in my life and seasons in my life where my friends were based on the shared interests that I had, the TV show that was on or these movies that were happening or the sports team when the season is on. But what I've found is that relationships that are only linked together by these shared interests that are really just seasonal interests really only allow us to have seasonal friendships. They can change as quickly as the leaves fall off the tree. They might offer some kind of happiness, but to relationships like this, does fellowship like this produce a lasting sense of joy? The apostle John who wrote this letter that we're reading, 1 John, was the closest friend of Jesus of Nazareth. He identified himself in his gospel accounting about the life of Jesus. He identified himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John heard after Jesus had died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and churches and congregations were gathering together to worship Jesus, he heard that one of these churches had a significant division 
in their relationships, like the church was, might have split because of a theological disagreement. And it was so severe that John recognized that if he didn't correct their false thinking, their, not just friendships, but their fellowship together and with God was actually at stake. So he wrote them this letter so that they could know what could unite them together in real fellowship and so that they could know how they could have joy in real fellowship together. That's what we want to learn today as we grasp what it means to be a community on purpose. Today, we wanna answer this question for ourselves from 1 John chapter 1, verse one to 10. How can we find joy in the practice of real fellowship? I believe this passage teaches us two ways that we can find joy in the practice of real fellowship. And here's the first one. If you're taking notes, I'd invite you to write this down. We can find joy in the joy of real fellowship if we've received the word of life. This is our entrance into fellowship with each other, which is sharing fellowship with God. Look at verse one and verse two together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Let's keep going, verse three. That which uh, which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John wrote to them so that they could know what it means to have real fellowship. John wrote to them so that they could know what it means to have real joy. Now, last week, when we were in Psalm 133, I explained that if we're going to have fellowship, we need to have unity together. But I never actually defined what fellowship is. And I want to do that today. So what is fellowship? Fellowship is simply this. Fellowship is sharing a common life together. And in the New Testament, fellowship is generally expressed in one of three ways, sometimes only one way, sometimes one of these, all three of these ways. The three elements of real fellowship in the New Testament are sharing common relationships united in love, sharing common resources for the good of each other's welfare, and sharing common resolve to accomplish the mission of making disciples. That's what real fellowship is, sharing a common life together, common relationships, common resources, common resolve. And John said that when you have this real fellowship, it's not just relationships together. He said in verse three, indeed, our fellowship, our relationships is are with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And the result of this, he's saying that he was writing these things so that their joy might be complete within their relationships together. So how could they have this though? How could they have this fellowship, 
sharing common relationships? How could we have this joy as we share our relationships with the Father and with the Son? Well, it's by receiving the word of life that John proclaimed to them. Notice the, like, observable ways that John had a relationship with Jesus. He says that he saw him, that he was so close that he touched him, that he was so near that he could hear his voice. Imagine that's how you first heard about Christianity. Imagine that the way you first heard about Christianity wasn't from another Christian, but it was from Christ himself. That was the Apostle John's experience. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was so near to Jesus that he could touch him. So close to him that he heard. He didn't read about the Sermon on the Mount. He was at the Mount where the sermon was preached. And the amazing thing is, is that John was writing to a people who had never heard Christ speak himself. They've only heard it from other Christians. They never touched Christ, but they heard about Christians who walked with Christ. Yet, amazingly, John is saying that even though they couldn't have the physical proximity relationship that John had with Jesus, they could still have that fellowship with Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? That we, through receiving the word of the life of Christ can have a relationship with our unseen God to the same quality and degree that those disciples had who walked with Jesus. This is an amazing thought. John had a relationship like that where they could touch him and see him, but we can have a real relationship, real fellowship together with our unseen God if we've received the word of life. So I would ask you, friend, have you? Have you received the word of life, the message of life concerning the life of Jesus? Jesus is the true light who was with the Father in heaven for all of time before we ever existed, yet the true light came from heaven into the darkness of the world. And in the darkness of this world, the true light showed us the truth of who God is the righteousness of what God requires from us. And he showed us the darkness in each of our own hearts. But then, dark and evil men put him on a cross and killed him. And to the eyes of those around him, it looked like the light was gone. But then, three days later, the light emerged out of the darkness and rose from the dead. And what the disciples recognized was that the true light bore the darkness of our heart and entered into our dark world so that he could show us the light so that we could turn out from our dark and evil waves and believe in the light. And when we believe in Christ, who is the true light, we will be forgiven of the darkness of our sin and be welcomed into a relationship with God who is light. Have you received the word of life? Do you believe that Jesus is Savior? 
That's the way that we enter into fellowship with God. We can find the joy of real fellowship and a real relationship with the unseen God if we receive the word of life. We can find the joy of real fellowship if we receive the word of life because faith unites us with God's presence. Do you have faith in the true message of Jesus? You can have a real relationship with God. But a relationship with God isn't based on how we feel we want to relate to God. A real relationship with God is based on the way that God has chosen to relate to us. Yet so frequently, I think many of us miss the joy of a relationship with God because we get it backwards. And we want to relate to God on our terms rather than learning to relate to God on his terms. If you got dropped off at work or at school, who gets the peck on the cheek? Your mom who drops you off or your Uber driver who drops you off? You don't relate to your mom and your Uber driver in the same way. If someone disobeys a direct statement of something you want them to do, who do you have parents the authority to send to their room? Your kid or your financial advisor? You don't relate to your kid, though you ask them to do things, in the same way as your financial advisor, though you ask them to do things. In the same way, so many people want to relate to God based on relationships that don't actually define the way God has chosen to relate to us. So many of the people in our culture want God to be their life coach, just someone who improves their way of life as just the person who comes once a week to make me feel better and help me get rid of my guilt. Other people at worst treat God like a vending machine. Like as long as I do the right formula, put in the coin and press the button, I get what I want. This passage tells us that the relationship we have with God is with Father and with his son. And in the book of the Corinthians, it also says that we have fellowship with the spirit. So what that means is that as God is our father, he provides for us and he loves us. So we relate to him by loving him and obeying him. The son of God, Jesus is our savior. He's our master. He's our teacher. So as our savior, we believe in him and we suffer with him. As our master, we serve him as his servants. As our teacher, we, we follow him. And the spirit, the scripture says, is our helper, given from God now that Christ has ascended into heaven. And the spirit is our, who is our helper convicts us of our sin and walks with us and fills us. So that means that I need to listen to his conviction. I need to keep in step and walk where he wants me to go. And as he fills me, I need to yield control of my life over to him. Have you received the word of life? 
if you have not, believe that Jesus is your savior and you will be welcomed into a relationship with the Father. You will be able to follow your master and you will find the help and comfort from the Holy Spirit and you can know the joy of fellowship with God. Vibrance fellowship with God, even though he is unseen. Faith unites us to God's presence. Just like you have relationships with your loved ones, we can also have a vibrant relationship with our unseen God because by faith, we are united to his presence. What does that look like? If we actually had vibrant fellowship with God, what would it look like? It would mean that I would be able to be comforted knowing that he is near to me at all times. Do you have that type of comfort? It would mean that I would want and desire to pray without ceasing. It would mean that I would be able to give thanks in all circumstances. It would mean that I would be able to count all things joy, even my trials and my suffering. A vibrant fellowship with God also means that because I'm yielding my life over to him, He's living his life through me. And the Holy Spirit, who is our helper, begins to transform my life so that when people see me, they don't see me. They see the Spirit living his life through me. My character will be marked by love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And when I have this vibrant relationship with God, it means that I can also have vibrant relationships with others that are meaningful, that are impactful, that aren't just seasonal and temporary with a temporary happiness, but are rooted and grounded and transcendent with a transcendent joy. Do you have this? We can have real joy and fellowship if we received the word of life, because faith unites us with God's presence. So, so if this is what it looks like, what can I do to, to enjoy the fullness of God's presence that's united with me? You may say, okay, I believe the word of life. Okay, I know I'm united to God's presence, but I don't have what you say I can have. How can I have this? Do you see the fruit of vibrant fellowship in your life? If we've been united with God's presence, the good news is that God has given us practices, habits, disciplines, so that we can stay near to, in, to God's presence. And I want to share with you what I think are three basic practices, three basic habits, three basic disciplines that we need if we are going to stay near to God and enjoy fellowship with him. The first one is this. We need the practice of solitude. If we're going to enjoy the nearness of God's presence and have a vibrant fellowship with him, we need to practice solitude. Because in solitude, we are able to have regular times set apart to seek God by abiding in his word and in prayer. I want to share some passages, or excuse me, some quotes from authors that I've read who talked about what it means to walk in unity with God's presence. The first is from Donald Whitney. Donald Whitney says this, Living apart from a conscious sense that the Lord is present is to live as though God is really not there. What we are told to do is to seek him through his word 
or seek him through experiences that are founded on his word or seek him daily through daily life in ways that are informed by his word. The way that we know our Lord and walk with our Lord is by seeking our Lord through his word and by the practices defined in his word. Apart from Christ and abiding in his word, we can do nothing. We need, and for me, I'm still growing in this, and it's hard. Because solitude only comes in two times of the day when everyone else is sleeping in the morning or when everyone else is sleeping in the evening. And by golly, my daughter wakes up early. And by golly, the chores take a long time after my daughter goes to bed at night. So that means that I need to say no to entertainment and no to listening to more news so that I can get up an hour before the rest of my family gets up and that I can stay awake a little longer after all the chores are done. But when I do even though it might seem from everyone else that it looks like I'm alone, I know the Lord is nearer to me there than anywhere else. We need the practice of solitude. And that's really hard because in our age, man, some of us are really uncomfortable with our own thoughts, aren't we? But that's where we can allow the Lord to bend our thoughts around his word to see him as he is and to see ourselves as who we are and to see the world as what it is so that we can live united with God's presence day by day. See, the second practice is actually that we need to acknowledge God in all of our ways. It's not enough just to have that solitude once a day and then forget about God. Jesus said, I am with you from 6 to 7 a.m.? No. He said, I am with you always. The second practice we need is to learn to acknowledge God in all of our ways. In his classic, all-time classic book called Practicing the Presence of God, 15th century monk named Brother Lawrence, I don't think his first name was Brother. I think Brother was just the title that monks called each other, right? His last name or first name might have been Lawrence. But Brother Lawrence said this, the presence of God is the concentration of the soul's attention on God, remembering that he is always present. Brother Lawrence was known as a man who was always near to God's presence. And you know what his job was in the monastery? Washing dishes. So whether you're doing data input in Excel spreadsheets all day long, or chasing the kids around, or washing dishes, you can acknowledge God in all of your ways. A.W. Tozer was thinking about what gave spiritual vitality to biblical characters like Moses, Elijah, King David, and Saul. And he said this, I venture to suggest that the one quality, the one vital quality which they had in common was spiritual receptivity. Something in them was open to heaven which urged them Godward. Without attempting anything like a profound analysis, I shall simply say that they are spiritual, had spiritual awareness, and they went on to cultivate it until it became the biggest thing in their lives. Man, I want to have the attitude of King David, who said, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Acknowledge God in all of our ways. And here's the third practice. We need to do these same things with other Christians. It's not enough just to do it by ourselves. There's a way that God shows and reveals himself to fellowship with us that can only be experienced when we're together. 
Donald Whitney says this in his book, 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. In that book, he says, in a true church, his word is preached, his son is presented in the Lord's Supper, his spirit ministers through many diverse gifts and so forth. The solitary worshiper does not have access to the presence of the Lord in exactly these ways. While there are experiences with God that are, only, that are given only in private worship, it is equally true that the Lord manifests his presence in unique ways to public worship. These things take discipline, and that's hard because we are a people that want to find joy with a fiber optic 5G speed with smartphone style convenience of the press of a button. But that's not what it's like to have fellowship with an unseen God. It's not enough to press a button and let an app guide your meditation in scripture. It's not enough to put on your headphones and let someone else preach a sermon to you and that's my fellowship with God. We need the ancient practices of solitude and the practice of God's presence. And when we do that individually and then when we do that together, that's the place that we can find joy. And we can have that joy if we receive the word of life and then practice the disciplines of godly living. We can find joy, the joy of real fellowship if we receive the word of life. That's the first way. Here's the second way. We can find the joy of real fellowship as we live in God's light. You see, the problem in the church that John was writing to was that they thought they had real fellowship, but what they were practicing was actually fake. And John wanted to show them what the difference between real fellowship and fake fellowship is. Let's look at verse 5 together. It says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Notice the quality of the message that he says he's proclaiming to them. The message is simply this, God is light. The gospel doesn't start with us in our need. It starts with God and his glory. That's what light refers to. When we, it's hard to look at the sun, it hurts our eyes. But we know the effect of the sun because we have light and we feel its heat. That's kind of what God's glory is. God's glorious light is what radiates from his nature as light and heat radiate from the sun. So God's glory radiates from his holy nature. No one can look at God's true holy presence and live, the scripture says, but what we do see is his glory. And the glorious light that John is referring to here is God's truth and God's righteousness. When we see God, we see truth. When we see God, we see righteousness. So that means for us to walk in fellowship with God, to walk in the light is to walk in the truth of God's revealed word. 
To walk in light means to walk in the righteousness that we've been clothed in through faith in Jesus Christ. We are not righteous because of what we have done. We are righteous because of what Christ has done for us. So in the opposite, what does it mean to walk in darkness then? Well, walking in darkness means willingly and ignorantly walking in ways that we know contradict God's word. Walking in darkness means willingly walking in sin when we know it's sin. See, there are two attitudes that persist within this church that cause them to practice fake fellowship. And John wants to correct them. The first attitude that makes us practice fake fellowship and not real fellowship is this. Uh, Sin doesn't affect my relationship with God. That's what these people believed. They believed they could walk in the darkness and still have fellowship with God in the light. But it's foolish. Maybe you've thought that before, though. Maybe you're comfortable walking in sin that you know God despises. Sin doesn't affect my relationship with God. That's like saying, binge eating won't affect my weight. That's like saying, compulsive spending won't affect my bank account. That's like saying, pumpkin spice lattes won't affect the smell of my breath. It does, bad. Like, like, like gasoline and cin- cinnamon mixed together. <laughs> It's not good. Sin doesn't affect my relationship with God. If you've got sinful habits in your lifestyle that you're comfortable hiding from God and hiding from others, and you think you can still have fellowship with God, you're living a lie. That's what scripture says. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if you know you're a sinner, Christian, if you know you're a sinner, but you know you're forgiven by God's grace through faith in what he's done for us, because he suffered for our sins so that we could be saved from our sin. And if you want to walk in the light and you're trying to walk in the light, even when we sin and we do sin, I do sin. Walking in the light and then sinning doesn't mean that I need to go hide from God into the darkness for fear of what might be exposed. There's nothing that can be, is left to be exposed that has not already been covered by the grace of Jesus Christ. You don't need to fear what might be exposed. You don't need to numb your mind with more entertainment. You don't need to say, well, I've already fallen in. I might as go, I've already put one toe in. I might as well jump head first in. Open your heart towards God in the light. And know that by faith in Jesus, he will cleanse your unrighteousness and cover you with Christ's righteousness. And when we're covered in Christ's righteousness, the Father looks at you with the same eyes that he looks at his own beloved son, Jesus Christ. We can find real joy as we live in God's light. And that fellowship with God doesn't just leave us in fellowship with God, but notice how it says we have fellowship with one another. Having fellowship with God in the light will ultimately always extend out into fellowship with others. We can find real joy 
and the practice of fellowship as we live in God's light because grace sustains us within God's presence. You see, faith unites us into God's presence, but grace sustains us within God's presence. Even though we seek to walk in the light, we still will sin. But we don't need to act anymore like Adam and Eve did when they sinned. Do you remember what Adam and Eve first did when they first sinned? They were scared. They recognized that they were naked, not just physically, but spiritually naked and exposed. And they tried to clothe themselves. They heard God's presence coming and they ran. And they tried to make their own covering to hide the shame of their sin. But in Christ, we do not need to run into the darkness out of the light of God's presence. Adam and Eve tried to cover the shame of their nakedness with clothes they made themselves, but we are covered in the robes of Christ's righteousness. So you don't need to run in fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. There was a second attitude, though, that these Christians, maybe Christians, maybe I'll have to say Christians in quotes, here because they were really acting like a Christian doesn't act. The first attitude that keeps us in fake fellowship is believing sin doesn't affect my relationship with God. The second attitude is really doubling down on that and saying, it's like, okay, well, maybe sin does affect my relationship with God, but I just don't think I'm guilty of sin. That's the attitude in the text. Look at it there, verse eight. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I'm not really guilty of sin. Okay, maybe sin affects my relationship with God. Our culture really dislikes the idea that our choices have consequence within a moral sphere. Actually, when I listen to the news or read books, I see how there are subtle ways that our culture twists the idea of sin to give excuse to say that it's not sin and it's not really a moral thing in light of God. Don't call adultery sin. Call it acting on my animal instincts that I inherited from evolutionary biology. It's just my nature. Don't call it greed or extortion or theft. Call it an unfortunate product that I was forced into by an unjust system, and that system wronged me first. We're not sinners, we're victims. We're not sinners, we're just acting on our nature. To deny our decisions as sin before a holy God is to deceive ourselves from the truth of what God has said about right and wrong. To deny that our moral choices happen in a spiritual realm with moral consequence before a holy God is to call God a liar. And calling God a liar is way worse than just living a lie. We run and hide under the cover of these excuses because like Adam and Eve, we are afraid of our sin being exposed. We're afraid of dealing with our own thoughts and the guilt and the shame that we have. But Christian, 
the righteousness of Christ has already covered any shame that could ever be exposed. God loves you. And his perfect love casts out fear of judgment. If we confess our sin, he is faithful. He is just. He will forgive us our sin. You don't need to be afraid of telling God what you know is wrong. Believe that if you tell God that you know you've wronged him, but that you know that Jesus died for your sin, by that faith, it's enough for you to be cleansed and for you to be restored to walk in the light. Grace sustains us so that even when we sin, we can still have the confidence to seek his presence in solitude. We can still gladly acknowledge him in all of our ways rather than numb our minds and hide our thoughts from ourselves. And grace allows us to do this together with other Christians. And that's where we can have joy in real fellowship together. That's why we do what we do in our small groups. Why in our small groups do we have discussion questions that ask us to reflect on the scriptures? Because God's word is the truth. It is light and we want that light to shine. Why do we have times of honest sharing that we call accountability where I tell other people the things that I know might bring me shame? because we want the light to expose the darkness so that we can confess it and come back into fellowship with God. Why do we need to spend more time in prayer in our small groups? Because the joy isn't in just talking about God. It's in talking to God and going to him and celebrating him for who he is and for how good and gracious he is to us. Do you want that? Do you want those kinds of relationships with others? Is this the kind of relationship you want with God and you want with others? You could be content with the seasonal relationships. You could be content with seasonal friendships. The leaf season is gonna start soon, but then it's gonna be over and probably disappointing. The raptor season is gonna start soon and we know they don't have that player who's now in LA. TV shows come and go, and you can binge them in a weekend, but then they're over. Seasonal friendships provide a seasonal happiness, but there is a transcendent joy that you can have, and God created you for relationships. God created you for community, and if we're going to be a community on purpose, the kind of relationships that provide true, lasting joy are the ones that seek the face of God and walk in his light. They're the ones that are willing to expose the darkness of our heart so that we can turn from it and have relationship and fellowship with God again. This is how we'll be a community on purpose. This is how we'll find joy in our relationships together as we have a vibrant relationship with God. When we, see, when we receive the word of life and follow the practices that keep us united with his presence and when we walk in the light and are sustained in his grace, are these the type of relationships you want? I trust that by God's grace, we can find them here. Would you stand with me as we pray together?
Lord, I'm, thank you for, I'm thankful for your true word, the word that has been proven from generation to generation, the word that has not been destroyed and has been sustained in purity without spot, without blemish, without change, one dot of an I or cross of a T, your word remains the same. And thank you that because your word remains the same, because you remain the same, and because you are gracious and welcoming and kind through the good news of Jesus Christ, thank you that we can really know you. Thank you that I can know you in the same way that my grandparents had a relationship with you. Or thank you that I can know you in the same way that those in the time of the Reformation in the 15th century knew you. Thank you that I can know you in the time of the apostles when they walked with you and saw you and could even touch you and heard your own voice. Thank you that I can hear your voice. Thank you that I can dwell in your presence. Thank you that we, through the Holy Spirit, in Christ and with the Father, by faith, and have this relationship with you together. God, I want this. Cause us to want it more. Thank you that we can have it in Christ. Help us to walk by faith, united with your presence, and to be sustained by your grace as we walk in the light. In Jesus' name, amen.